from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. in the army a few years back, I served as an MP in Tokyo, and the experience taught me a lot. MPs were the most unpopular people in the city in those days, during the last phases of the occupation. In our white helmets and uniforms, we represented the final reminders of a tiresome military authority to the Japanese. To the Americans on the Ginza, drunk with sake or whiskey if they could afford it, we represented all that was frustrating or constricting about rigid military life. We were therefore a challenge to anyone who saw us. And more than one of my friends ran into trouble. One was blinded by a knife in the eye. Another was killed. Of course, we were armed. I remember when we were first issued our guns, a hard-nosed captain said to us, You have your weapons, now take my advice. Never use the gun. You shoot a rowdy drunk, even in self-defense. You'll find out later his uncle is a congressman or a general. Keep the gun in sight, but keep it in your holster. Period. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Um, I must say, I must uh, cast doubt on um, Barry's recollection of uh, post-war Japan based on <laughs> my knowledge of the country. But uh, anyway, this is, uh, for Christ's sake, I'm Hunter, but by you, as I always am. Introduce yourself, you. Hello. Today we have a wonderful treat for you, a second chapter of <coughs> Michael Crichton's fourth published book, under the name of Jeffrey Hudson, which is entitled... Actually, first Case. published book under the name of Jeffrey Hudson. That's true. His fourth published book is first published under the name of Jeffrey Hudson. There we go. And that book is called A Case of Need. And of course, you're going to include that and edit out all your own mistakes because you're a fucking rat <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah. I um, could drink a case of need. Not unusual to find love with anyone. Feet. It even rhymes better with that title. I fucking uh, owned Mitchell. Anyway, so uh, today we have also our signature snacks and drinks. I'm currently uh, tippling on a gimlet and popping some salt and vinegar chips in my mouth. The gimlet, due to the fact I can imagine the fancy boys of this novel, knocking a few of them back at their fancy clubs. Mm-hmm. And the salt and vinegar chips, because berry is a little salty and vinegary, despite your objections. Uh, what you got? I've got a cup of coffee, which I can similarly imagine the fancy boys at this novel knocking back in order to stay awake um, across the long hours of their shifts. Um, and uh, to pair with that, I have an everyday apple, uh, which I eat to keep the very doctors in this novel away. What varietal of apple? Uh, it's a pink lady, I believe. Hmm. That is my favorite type of apple. Really? Yeah. It's a pretty good apple. It's a nice balance. Not too sweet, not too tart. I agree completely. Nice and crisp. I really like them a lot. 
They're really good for sandwiches. And and definitely, I think the worst type of apple, and I forgot the, the varietal that I did sample that was next to the Pink Lady. It's one of the popular ones, or at least one of the um, ubiquitous ones that you see. Very powdery. Nothing worse than a powdery apple. That's not what you I want. I agree. I agree. I don't. I also don't like gritty apples. Gritty apples? Yeah, like apples that are gritty, that have like a gritty texture. Mm, yeah, no. Not on. Like a good, you know, smooth, juicy apple. And pink ladies typically are that. They are indeed. Now, is this my typical breakfast most days of the week? Yes, it is. <laughs> but uh, I, I think I think it's, uh, you know, appropriate enough. Who cares? Fuck off. <laughs> I tried. This is I committed I to something that I'm going to have to purchase every week. You're, already, you're just using whatever shit was in your cupboard. That, that was a big factor. I was like, what, what do I really want to, like, be eating and drinking every week and, and what's cheap? You know, what do I already uh, do regardless of this podcast? <laughs> That I could tie in somehow. But I will say that I did spend quite a lot of money on a beverage option. And then I decided against using it. But it is on the back burner for a future medically themed novel. Not sure which one, but there are other medical novels, right? Mm. Right? I assume so. I don't, I don't know. I, I just assumed there were. I was like, oh, well, there's, there's another one. There's so definitely, there's definitely medical nonfiction that we're going to do. So. Yes. Which we will have to read chapter by chapter. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, one way or another, I'll get to use this item that I uh, stumped for. <laughs> Once again, I'm most excited about uh, the Jasper Johns book that he wrote. Me too. Anyway, uh, what happened last chapter? Actually, what is this book about? This book is about, so far, uh, is about a, a pathologist named John Barry, mm-hmm. who um, doesn't have much of a personality. But if I were to describe his personality in a word, I'd say a little salty, <laughs> a little vinegary. <laughs> so it's kind of like if he did have a personality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's in the middle of preparing some samples when he gets a call from his wife, Judith. His wife, Judith. Not Betty. Not Betty. And what did the old ball and chain want? Uh, And his wife let him know that his good friend, Arthur, uh, parentheses, Art, parentheses, Lee, has been arrested for crimes unknown. Uh, And... Mr. Barry has a, a reverie to his days discovering that his friend Art was an abortionist. And, you know, we didn't mention this last time, but I have to say I was kind of surprised by a frightened, seeming, liberal approach to abortion uh, in this opening chapter, given his uh, general reputation. Yeah, I was definitely worried when the theme, like, revealed itself as front and center of this, uh, uh, of and this it could- stretch of the book. And it could certainly go, could certainly tip towards being anti-abortion in the future, but I thought it was surprisingly nuanced coming from someone who is uh, generally as conservative as Crichton is. Indeed. And so basically, uh, uh, our good friend Mr. Barry is going to go to the police station see if we can find out why Art has been arrested. And he fears that it's over the um, illegal abortions that he's been performing in the hospital and covering up. 
because he's also implicated because he's aware of it and has participated to some degree in uh, in the scheme, right? Mm. And he reasons that if if they get art for this, you know, he's he's next pretty much. Yes. It's not unusual. I could drink a case of meat. Anyway, so he enters the police station. Should we have like he... a segment that is a, like a musical segment? <laughs> anyway, no. never mind. Keep going. Keep going. Crying the blues? What? <laughs> I've got a cry to sing the blues. How about that? I've got a cry to sing the blues. It's good. Anyway. So I guess the police station, there's kind of a surly... If uh, we just don't want to talk about the, the chapter, up. we just want to sing a song. We, we enter into a segment of I've Got a Crack to Sing. I'm trying to get through this shit. All you want to do is fucking babble. I've got nothing else to say. Okay. Anyway, so he runs into some trouble with the surly sergeant who works the front desk at the police station. Mm-hmm. And he basically bluffs his way past it by saying he is arts... Uh, part of his legal representation. What happens then, Hugh? He has a chat with Art in his cell. Also, in this chapter, it is, uh, I guess, revealed or confirmed that this is something that I actually knew ahead of time because I had read a bit about the film adaptation of this book called um, The Carry Method, or The Carry something, The Carry Treatment, which we'll watch, which we're going to watch, obviously. Of course. Um, but the uh, Dr. Lee, Dr. Art Lee, is a Chinese-American man. Yes. Um, and the police agent uses a specific racial slur against him. Is this a segment of crying out loud? <laughs> uh, no, I do not think so. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Good call. So uh, uh, he's in the cell. And what happens after that? Early in the exchange that uh, John Barry has with his friend Art, the latter blurts out, I didn't do it, I didn't touch her, I swear. Or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that his arrest relates to the death of a young lady named uh, Karen Randall, Mm -hmm. who um, came to him to seek an abortion... You know, strangely enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna divert your attention for just a quick second. This is the second race-based abortion thriller that I've read in the past year. Really? <laughs> yes, because I read this book by Dorothy Hughes, um, called *The Expendable Man*, where the main character is a black doctor who is falsely accused of murdering a white woman who. Wanted her to abort his baby, her baby, basically. Wow, there you go. It's a good book. I highly recommend it. And uh, you would say it's indebted to a case of need, clearly. I think it came out before it, so no. Oh, really? Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different tenor of of book, too, because the Expendable Man's more... It's like a, a good book? <laughs> well, it is that, but it's also like a, a sort of noir-adjacent story. And also the... Uh, the uh, person of color who is the uh, suspect of murder is the main character and the narrator. I like this book, so. Right. So it's not filtered through a whitewashing berry lens. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so they have a chat in the cell. Um, Art says at one point, I didn't touch her, I swear. He's referring to the death of a, um, a woman who sought an abortion from him mm. by the name of Karen Randall. Mm-hmm. But due to the um, advanced stage of her pregnancy, he said, you know, it's not safe to do this. I can't, I can't give you the abortion. So, so get the hell out of your whore. And, uh, she's like, all right, I guess, I guess I'm having the kid. Mm. And as far as he's concerned, that's the end of the matter. He doesn't even, you know, open a case file to cover it up. He's like, well, it didn't go any further. I turned her down. So, no, you know, I don't do- need to. It does seem like he's hiding something. Yes. In retrospect, um, there's a lot of suspicious details, which he himself says, well, if I knew this was going to turn into, you know, a crime investigation, I obviously would have acted differently. But at the time, you know, it seemed reasonable to me to act this way. Mm. But definitely John Berry has his suspicions and he believes that he's not getting the whole story, especially about his connection to the family. Yes. Um. That's pretty much the end of the chapter, right? No, so you ask her where... You ask him where her body is, and he tells him, or they find... They know where the body is. He's going to go find the body. And the chapter ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Where Barry has been summoned to the captain's office for a talk. About what? We don't know. But one of those classic uh, Crichton filler chapters, I have to say. <laughs> Overall. <laughs> Not that much happens. We don't really learn anything new. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, time for trivia. Let's do it. The crowd is some easy ones for you this episode mm. and i have uh some harder ones so wow on which street is the police station located wow uh charles street correct how long was barry in law school for one year correct and he didn't learn anything he didn't learn anything bonus point Hey, that was like my being in college for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> and my for four. I'll keep on going. All right. What time did the police pick Arthur up from his home? Um, 7 a.m.? Yep. 
Oh, really? <laughs> to be specific, or well, rather more vague, about seven. Okay. Oh, I'm surprised I remember that. All right. <laughs> what is the medical term that is used quite a bit in this chapter when describing Karen's medical condition of missing her period? Ooh, I can see the word. And I did briefly attempt to commit it to memory thinking that you would ask me this very question. <laughs> but I've forgotten uh, the second half of the word. Hmm. It's like, it's like aneromoid or something like that. It's not aneromoid. You're not, you're not far off though. I know. It is amenorrhea. Amenorrhea. Okay. Yeah. Amenorrhea. And no half point. <laughs> uh, who was Karen Randall's personal physician? Peter Randall. Correct. Wow. Three for yes, three. Yes, three for three. And um, <laughs> hey, I wonder if you'll get this one. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to lose anyway. It doesn't matter. You're going to lose. Well, does it matter? Do we, do, does it go like round by round in terms of like binary win-loss? You get a win or you get nothing. No, no, no. Or do we get, add get up the, the points. points? We add up the points. So every every correct answer you get is, is, is worth something. Wow. Yeah, that's probably better, isn't it? Yeah, obviously. All right, fair enough, fair enough. My heart's back in it. <laughs> Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What is the name of the police station in which Art is incarcerated? That's uh, the Charles Street Station. <laughs> well, how right you are. Yeah. So, how do you feel about this book so far? We've read two chapters now. Hmm, I think it could be... Could be entertaining enough. I don't know. <laughs> it's not super promising, but it doesn't seem as torturous as uh. <laughs> uh, what's the last one? Scratch one, or is that two ones ago? What was the, the last scratch one? one? Was the second one? The last one was Easy Go. Ah, uh, Scratch one was the bot, the pants. E no, Easy Go was the. F yeah, yeah, you're right. Wait, was it? Yeah, Easy Go was oh, the. Oh, Odds On. Odds On was the first one. Easy Go. Was Odds the On was the best. Yeah. Hey, Easy Go had one half that was enjoyable. The rest of it was torture. Yeah. <laughs> the back end of that book was, was terrible. Yeah. Um, this isn't quite as gripping as the best of Crichton's writing so far, uh, but it's not, it's not torturous. What about you? No. I mean, it, it got better as it went along and the plot kind of revealed itself. Like the first half of the first chapter is pretty hard. Yeah, pretty rough. Like, like the, the like, hey, look, I know stuff about doctors <laughs> kind of prose. Mm. But yeah, at least at least there's some forward momentum on this plot. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what happens next in chapter three. Um, but I do I do miss the kind of pulpy, exploitative kind of quality of his previous uh, novels. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like. I I wish this is about like a heist or something. I don't like that the doc doctors are being cured. I, I don't. Or like there's like uh, you know an experimental new technology for abortions or something <laughs> that goes awry. <laughs> but alas, alas indeed. All right, well that's our podcast. Uh, join us uh, next week for another thrilling edition of For Christ's Sake. Bye.
Bye. Oh.